I've been going verse by verse through the book of Esther, and we're coming down to uh, crunch time. The children of Israel, Jewish people, have been slated for destruction. Uh, the king has signed the law, eliminating them, in my opinion, and uh, we'll show you from uh, chapter 6, he does not understand that it's the Jewish people. And we'll show you that pretty clearly. Uh, well, how, how could that happen? Well, uh, Mordecai, or Haman, remember when he uh, promoted this, he said, there is a certain people and did not disclose at that time to the king uh, who that people was. And we're going to show you from chapter 6. So we're in chapter 6, book of Esther. Uh, we're in verse 1. On that night, could not the king sleep? And he commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read uh, before the king. So <clears throat> we've got Esther. Uh, just a quick sum- summation of the book. Uh, we're in the Media Persian Empire, a Persian king on the throne, uh, and he has, uh, he has, he had a party, and he was drunk, and he asked, he demanded, required, commanded his queen, Vashti, to come in and show her beauty, uh, to the world, and, uh, she refused to do that. And so, in, uh, under the influence of alcohol, uh, he passed a law that said she'll no more come uh, before the king. Uh, she was removed at that moment. When he sobered up, he felt bad about that. But he could not undo the law of the Medes and Persians. And so then they had a, a, a contest. Uh, they had a government process to choose the next queen. And <clears throat> Esther was chosen. Now, Esther is the queen. <clears throat> Mordecai. Uh, is sitting at the gate. He is in, he is a Jewish man in the court system, if you will. And they took care of legal business at the gate. And he refused to bow to Haman. Haman is, is ticked. He's got, uh, he's got all the power that he could possibly want in the world besides being the king himself. And he can get the king to do practically anything he wants. The king is his drinking buddy. And they've done that on more than one occasion. But he is upset that one person won't worship him. And so he goes before the king. He has that law signed. And after they sign the law for an extermination of, the, of a group of people, a whole race, genocide, uh, they sat down to drink at the end of uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2. And so now we're in, a chapter, in chapter 5. Uh, Haman is building a gallows. He has gone. He has had it. He goes to his home and says, you know, I've got this and I've got this and I've got this blessing. And the king, uh, he appreciates me and I've got all this power and I've got all this money. And uh, I've been blessed by the gods because I have all these kids. And uh, but there's one thing, one, one thing more. I told my I told folks this week I was going to pick on them this morning. <clears throat> my snow people, my snow people. I, last week, the title of the message was the flesh is never satisfied. So uh, this past week, we had a little snow, did we not? And I called my snow people and I said, hey, you've got snow. And they said, oh, pastor, it's not enough. I want more. I want more. And I said, I'm going I'm to tell everybody about you this week because the flesh is never satisfied. And then if you've got five inches, you want six. If you've got 10 inches, you want 12. And if you've got 12 inches, you want three feet. Uh, and they laughed. <clears throat> 
But isn't that the flesh? And so Haman, he's not happy that he's got all the wealth, all the power, all the kids, and blessed by his gods, quote unquote. Uh, he wants everybody to worship him. And when Mordecai will not bow, he's going to have him exterminated, wiped off the face of the earth. And so, uh, the, the king has been called into a banquet with, with Esther. Uh, Mordecai has gone to Queen Esther and said, hey, uh, we're going to be dis- dis- we're going to be destroyed. And don't you think, in the Medi Persian Empire, that, be- that you're going to be protected as a queen? Didn't fare well for the last queen. It's not going to fare well for you. And so you better go before the king. And she said, I haven't been called uh, these 30 days. And she said, I'll, I'll go in. I'll go in before the king and risk my life if you'll, fa- if you'll fast for three days with me. And so the children of Israel did that. And on the third day, Esther went in. And the king was moved when he saw her. And he extended the scepter, uh, which uh, she, she would touch. And which gave, oh, if he didn't extend that scepter, uh, the, the soldiers took you out and spilled your blood. I mean, you, you died. And he extended the scepter, said, what do you want? And she said, I want you to come to a meal, a banquet that I have prepared for you. The text specifically says that they came in drinking. It was a banquet of wine. I don't know that that's what she had intended. That's what they turned it into. So the question is always asked, why did she wait for for two parties before she did this? And I would say because he was under the influence of alcohol and he has a pretty good reputation of not making good decisions when he is under the influence. And so she, he says, well, Esther, what do you want? To half of the kingdom. She says, I want you to come back to another banquet. He goes home and he says, man, what, what could be so heavy on her heart that she's not telling me? There, there's, there's something that's bothering her. Now, and he can see it and he knows it. And so he goes home. And he, he, he goes to his bedroom and he's trying to sleep. And have you ever had something that was so heavy on your heart that you couldn't sleep? Well, kings have the same thing. And that's verse 1. On that night, not on, not on the next night or not on a night three, three weeks later, but on that night, the night where Esther said, I want you to come back tomorrow. I'm going to, I'm going to, do, another, I'm going to do another banquet. And then tomorrow I'm going to tell you what's on my heart. Oh, it just it just bothered him. He couldn't imagine what it was. The first time it was like, okay, she just wants to be nice. But then she won't tell him, and he knows it's something heavy. On that very night, he can't sleep. Could not the king sleep? And he commanded the book of the record uh, to be brought. In the background, while he's sleeping, behind Haman's house, Haman's not sleeping either. Why is he not sleeping? Because there's a construction project going on in his backyard. Uh, they're building a gallows. 50 cubits high, 75 feet. How tall is that? Well, this, this from, from the floor to the peak of the ceiling, is 28 feet. So, double this and add 15 feet to it. And you don't need a gallows that high to hang somebody. 28 feet would have been more than sufficient. But he's building something that everybody can see in a town that probably has two-story structures. This, this stands, a story is typically ten, so this would be equivalent of a, of a seven-story building. Imagine that in your neighborhood. A seven-story building 
in the middle of a bunch of two-story buildings. I mean, it's, it's going to stand out. And he wanted it to stand out because he was making a statement. Don't mess with me. Or I'll have you hung from the gallows. And you walked out of your and you're like, what in the world is going on? So here it is. And they built it in one night. And they come out in the middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the morning, here, bang, 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 because a, a 75-foot structure just doesn't appear, I'm going to say overnight, but it, but it did occur, occur, occur overnight. And they worked on it all night long. They had all kinds of crews there. And I'm sure Haman's not sleeping well either and thinking, oh, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow is going to be the day and we're going to have him killed. <clears throat> so the kings could have done anything. What do you do when you cannot sleep? And I say, again, uh, the world leaders have trouble sleeping at night. He is a world leader. Trouble sleeping. Uh, let's see. What can we do? We can uh, count sheep. Anybody? In, do we have any sheep counters in the room? You count 199, 98, 97, 96, 95. Trying to calm yourself down to not think about whatever you're thinking about. Try to sleep. Uh, maybe have uh, call your mom and have your mom sing you a lullaby. Uh, maybe you've got soft ocean sounds that play off in the background. White noise, uh, they call it. Maybe rain falling. No. Uh, maybe, maybe play music. King Saul did that when he was when he was troubled. He would bring David in, the shepherd boy, and he would play on his harp to try to calm the spirit of King Saul so he could sleep. King Saul had many sleepless nights because of sin. I don't know. If I was a king, I think I'd call the kitchen. What do you, what do you can't do and you can't sleep? You eat, right? I'll call the kitchen. Hey, could you, could you send up some warm milk, please? And they didn't have microwaves back then, so it would have probably required the guy to either build a fire and heat up the milk. It would have been easier not to build a fire and just go out to the cow and get the milk warm and bring it up. Here's your warm milk. Uh, warm milk. <clears throat> Make you sleep. But no, uh, this is something uh, that this king says, bring me a history book. If anything will put you to sleep, it's a history book, right? And not just any history book, the history of the Chronicles of what has gone on in the kingdom. And it was found, verse 2, that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to, to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the king said, so, so they're reading along, and they come of all the places to read. Now, again, if you believe in coincidences, you'll love the book of Esther. There are just a lot of coincidences going on. For instance, last week we talked about the building a gallow 50 cubits high. Where did he get that number from? Jewish people were celebrating Passover, Passover 50 days in length. You think that's coincidental that he just decided to build a gallows 50 cubits high? Um, at the time when they were selling, the Jews were celebrating a 50-day celebration of God's deliverance? I don't think that's a coincidence at all. You think it's a coincidence that the king can't sleep on this night? Seriously? You think it's a coincidence that he said, bring the one book that documents what Mordecai has done for me, and that they open it to the place where Mordecai, Mordecai did it? Seriously? 
That's not coincidence at all. That's God at work. And read the history. The book of the Chronicle, the record of the Chronicles. Some dry and un- uneventful stuff. But then they come upon this plot to kill the king. And the king's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Bigthana and Teresh. I remember those guys. They were going to kill me. And uh, uh, doorkeepers. They were exposed. So the logical question is what the king asks. Verse 3, and the king said, what honor and dignity has been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, there is nothing done for him. There is no record. Now, you've got to understand Persian kings. They loved to honor people because it said to everybody in the kingdom, you, you do something good for me, I will do something good for you. And I guarantee you the good you do for me is not going to be in comparison to the good that I do for you. But here's a guy, Mordecai, that saved the king's life and he didn't do anything for him? You've got to be kidding me. And so, what, what are we done? And, and, and so, so he's, he's flummoxed. He's perplexed. And so, verse 4, he asks the next question. There are several telling questions. Again, if you believe in coincidences, uh, uh, there's another guy uh, that can't sleep. Who's in the court? Well, Haman's there. He, he wants to know who in his staff, who in the administration has showed up to work. Because he wants, he's got a question that needs to be answered. Well, Haman, again, he can't sleep. Because of all the construction going on in his backyard. And so he thinks, you know what? I'm going to get an early start on the day. And what's the first thing on Haman's agenda? Going before the king, before the banquet with Esther, and saying, hey, can I hang Mordecai today? Because that guy's really on my nerves. And he thinks the king's going to give him that ability to do that. And so he, uh, he, he shows up to work early. At this time, the king can't sleep. They bring in the chronicle of the record. They read about Mordecai. The king is perplexed. What have we done for him? We've done nothing. You've got to be kidding me. This is extraordinary. Who, who's, who's out there? Who's out there? Oh, Haman's out there. Bring him in. And so, uh, verse 4, the king said, who's in the court? Now, Haman was coming to the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he, that Haman, had prepared for him, Mordecai. And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So the king's calling for him. What does the king want? So he holds on to his business for just a second. And the king asks his question. And and, uh, verse 6. So Haman came in. And the king said unto him, Here's the third question of the chapter. Haman, what shall be done... Unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Now we talked about last week in chapter 5 that Haman was absolutely stuck on himself. Look at verse 11 of chapter 5. Haman told his friends of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and all the things where the king had promoted him. He was a guy stuck on himself. And so going back to chapter 6, verse 6. Haman came in, the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? And what did you think the first thing Haman thought? Now, who? Now, Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to do honor more than myself? 
And I get to choose. I'll tell you what I would love. And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delighteth to honor. They're at the point of impossibility, and God steps into the room. And I don't know where you are in your life today at the point of impossibility. And you're praying, and you're waiting on the Lord. And it seems like God is just a little bit late for what you have going on. Uh, don't, don't, be, don't be weary. Don't be upset. Don't, don't call into question uh, the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Because at this point of impossibility, at this low point, seemingly where there is no hope, two words, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, six, four says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Frank, I think your group is here. Accidents. And we, we look at them as accidents. Accidents happen at when, when we are sleepless. But this is not a happen and this is not an accident. This is not a coincidence. This is not unusual. This is God. And here so if you type up this this afternoon, what are the what are the what is the results of sleeplessness? What are the some of the greatest accidents that have ever happened as a result of sleeplessness? Uh, the first accident that will come up is Chernobyl. Ukraine had a nuclear meltdown. <coughs> Uh, the engineer that was working that night, when the thing was leaking coolant and, and melted down, uh, was, had just passed the 13 hours of working mark. I don't know if you've ever worked a 13, 14 hour, 15 hour shift. After, I can tell you after uh, 12 hours, you just want to find a place to sit. After 13 hours, your brain isn't thinking right. After 15 hours, uh, you better find a place to sleep because you're going down no matter where you are. And the, we have the Chernobyl disaster. Three Mile Island, Pennsylvania, was a result of sleeplessness. The Challenger disaster. The engineers on that morning got up at 1 a.m. They had gone to bed at 11. And on the day of that launch, they missed that fuel uh, the fact that that fuel was coming out of those uh, of those O-ring seals, and uh, when that thing took off and that fuel was leaking and it exploded, those guys had had two hours of sleep. Two hours of sleep. And they said in their final disposition that a lack of sleep definitely had a bearing on that accident. <clears throat> they said while their work was while excessive work is admirable, it had serious consequences. Well, that's an understatement. Exxon Valdez, uh, that, oil, that tanker, uh, that, uh, that oil spill was terrible. The third mate was sleeping at the helm uh, when they ran aground. American Airlines, 1420, had a crash. Uh, the crew was fatigued. They were impaired. Uh, lots, of, lots of bad things happen when you are sleepless. Now, this guy's sleepless, but God's going to use it to good. 
Romans 8.28, And we know that all things, even these things, will work for good to them that love God. Even in the midst of disaster, we have that hope that God, but God, is going to step in. What do you do when you need an answer to a nagging question? Uh, who is in the court? Who is in the court? <clears throat> you go to work, you see the king, to ask the head of Mordecai to go to the banquet that's been prepared for you. And what happens next? I, I had an a exchange with Matthew Roman uh, this week. And Matthew Roman is in Georgia, and he's been uh, tuning in to the series on Esther. Uh, 8.30. Uh, he, can, he can catch this. If you're out there, Matthew, this morning, good morning. And I told you that I was going to share uh, the passage of Scripture. Matthew Roman said, Pastor, Pastor, it reminds me of Psalm 146, verse 9. And uh, the way of the wicked, well, that was last week, the way of the wicked, he turneth upside down. And it reminded him of Psalm 7, verse 15. He made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. And I said, Matthew, that is a good passage of Scripture for the message this morning, and I'm going to share that. And he said, good, good. Uh, he was pretty excited about that. Uh, but God does that. Not just in Esther 6, but in the affairs of men. A sleepless night for the king is going to turn into a great humiliation for Haman. And it is not just another coincidence. Verse 7, And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, <laughs> let the royal apparel be brought, which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. And they tell me this guy didn't have a desire to be the king and to be seen as the king be king in the king's robe, on the king's horse, with the king's crown. That should have given King Ahasuerus a little pause. And let his, this apparel and the horse be delivered to the head of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. The king said to Haman, Make haste and take the apparel and the horse, as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai. You probably see the blood drain right out of his face. His mouth drops open. Mordecai, the Jew, I said before at the beginning that I did not believe that King Ahasuerus knew that he had signed a warrant eliminating the Jewish people, signed a law. And this is why I don't think that. But this is why I think that. I think that he did not know. Because here he clearly knows that Mordecai is a Jew. Here he clearly wants to honor Mordecai, the Jew. He if, if he had any idea that in just a few hours the Jewish people were going to be exterminated, that would have given him great pause right here at this time. But there is no pause. There is no 
Mordecai the Jew. I know that he's a Jew. And I want to honor him. Put on him the robe. Put him on the horse. Put the crown on his head. You're my trusted servant. Lead him through the streets and say, this is, the, this is what is done unto the man that the king delighted to honor. Pretty incredible. Mordecai the Jew. And the king knew where he was. He's at work. That sitteth at the king's gate, let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. Then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Haman, this eagle-driven Public acclaim motivated, man who desired to be worshipped, upset at one man who won't bow to him, is now leading that enemy through the city, through the streets. I just say, reminded in chapter 6, you might do well to listen to the entire scenario before you say, and render judgment. Reminded me of a time 20 years ago, uh, Mrs. Bishop was backing out of our driveway and the church car was in the driveway. And I, I probably didn't park it very good, but nudged its nose out a little bit. And she was backing out and she backed into the church car. She put a little dent in it. Didn't do any damage to our vehicle. Uh, and it, it was an old car. had, I don't know, 175,000 miles on it. And it had dents and scratches and all kinds of stuff on it. But it, did, it put a little, it put a little a crease in it. I scratched the paint off, and uh, so <clears throat> it, it was our fault. And so I, I, uh, the men, together every month I meet with the men. I sat down with the men, and I said, Hey, um, a church member uh, backing up, backed into the church car. I said, Now, it's minor damage, and it's not anything that we would ever get fixed. Uh, it just, it's just cosmetic. doesn't affect the, uh, the running of the car at all. Um, what, what do you want me to do? And they said, Well, do they have insurance? And I said, well, that, yes, they do have insurance, uh, but their deductible is $1,000. So it's not $1,000 in damage. They'd write, they'd just write church a check. And uh, they, they said, well, have them write us a check. And I said, okay, okay. And so I went and uh, we, we wrote a check, $500. Mrs. Bishop, I, I think, delivered it uh, to Mr. Frank. And Mr. Frank said, what, what's this? And said, well, uh, the men sat down and uh, the accident back to the car. And, da, 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 da. and so the men got word of that and they came to me. They called a meeting. Pastor, pastor, you didn't tell us it was Mrs. Bishop <laughs> that, that hit the car. I said, no. I said, what does it matter? Well, if we'd known it was Mrs. Bishop, we would have never made her pay. I said, then you're a respecter persons and, and that's a problem. It shouldn't matter who hit the car, right? It shouldn't matter who hit the car, whether it was Miss Bishop or me or someone else. It shouldn't matter who, when you're making your decision. But oftentimes it does. For Haman, it mattered. He should have listened to the whole scenario and should have considered all the possibilities, but he did not. Now he's mortified. They, uh, the guys were mortified. I tried to wiggle out. Uh, they didn't wiggle out. Uh, and uh, Haman's in trouble. How much trouble is he in? Uh, when your fate is sealed beyond redemption. What do you do when you have a sleepless night? 
What do you do when you need an answer to a nagging question? And what do you do when your fate is sealed beyond redemption? Verse 12. Mordecai came again to the king's gate. This didn't affect him, riding on a horse, having the king's garment on, having a crown on. What are you going to do today, Mordecai? Yeah, I think I'm going to take the rest of the day off and party with my friends. No, not Mordecai. He went back to work. He went right back to the king's gate. Because that's just the kind of man that he was. But what does Haman do? Haman hasted to his house, mourning, and having his head covered. He was ashamed. in great distress, verse 13, and Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. Wow, powerful, powerful. Now Haman is the one in mourning. Now Haman is the one with his head covered. Before we had Mordecai, who was at the gate in sackcloth and ashes, bewailing and moaning, so much so that the people took word to the Queen Esther and said, Hey, uh, uh, Mordecai is in great mourning and, and is sitting in sackcloth and wailing. And it's a bitter, bitter wail. And Esther sent down clothes for him because she was, the king was so far removed from that. He didn't want to have sadness in the presence of the king. So she sent clothes down and said, clothe yourself and, and, and don't be sorrowful anymore. And he said, uh, God, be sorrow, sorrowful. The, we've been, uh, our death warrant has been signed. But now it's not Mordecai who's mourning. It's Haman that is mourning. And his his friend said, listen, his wife says, listen, buddy, you are toast. Uh, uh, Listen, the up and down roller coaster ride of fickle emotions. You best be governed by Bible truth. Thus saith the Lord, what is right, what is wrong. Not what makes you feel good, not what, what makes you feel good for the moment, but what is right. What is wrong? What is truth? What is error? My assessment is this. Those who oppose the Lord God of the Jews will themselves meet destruction. Let me pay attention to that statement. Those who oppose the Lord God of the Jews will themselves meet destruction. And that's not just good for this ancient time in Persian history. That's also good for 2024 in the, as a Middle East policy today. America should stand up to the enemies of Israel and say, listen, it's pretty clear in world history that those who oppose the Lord God of the Jewish people will themselves meet destruction over and over and over and over again. So you best get on board and get behind the Jewish people. America's not doing that. America is pushing for a, a, a two, another two-state solution. I mentioned on Wednesday evening, the people that are writing about that two-state solution said this. Here, a Jewish, uh, a Jewish scholar who, who specializes in Jewish affairs said this about the two-state solution. 
in order to have a two-state solution in the Middle East, we would have to redefine two, we would have to redefine state, and we would have to redefine solution. In other words, there is no possibility for a two-state solution when the, when, the side, when, when the position of one side, the position of Haman's side is, eliminate the people from off the face of the earth. Where is there room for two people to abide uh, side by side? <clears throat> and not, not going to happen. Verse 14. What could possibly go worse? <laughs> and while they were yet talking with him, while his family were yet talking with Haman, came the king's chamberlain and hasted to bring Haman unto the banquet that Esther had prepared. (laughs) Haman is about to learn a life lesson. The very last lesson that he will ever hear, learn, know, realize on this side of eternity. And that's not to oppose God. He's on the ropes. His life is in a spiral. He's spiraling out of control. And he has an appointment with the queen. What could possibly be worse? What else could possibly go wrong? It can't possibly be any worse than this. It can absolutely be worse than this. What could possibly go wrong is a phrase, and this is... This is a textbook, okay, and you look up the definition of what could possibly go wrong. Here is the de- definition of that phrase. What could possibly go wrong is the phrase, the thing that people say when they are about to do something really stupid that will, without question, go wrong. That's the definition that shows up when you type in that phrase. It ignores Murphy's Law that says anything that can go wrong, will. What could possibly go wrong? Well, for Pastor Sean, he was out boating with his friends down in Florida this past year. <clears throat> without life jackets. Now, here's a pastor of a church that is out boating, not following the rules. That's not going to end well. <clears throat> so, he's out boating with friends. The boat starts taking on water. And they don't have the, they have radios, they don't have cell phones that are working. Uh, the boat's taking on water. They're going down. Nobody has life preservers. And the preacher can't swim. And so they start waving, uh, help, 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 waving, waving, and, and peep other boaters on the lake see that they're in trouble, they're distressed. The boat is sitting low in the water. And so they dial 911. Uh, the uh, harbor, harbor Patrol goes out there and they put on their sirens and they zoom out there. And in a nick of time, uh, they pull these guys uh, to the surface, the pastor and his friends. And they take them up uh, to, the, to the dock to dry land and say, man, you guys are really unfortunate. Uh, and uh, never go out without life preservers. Never do that. And so the, uh, the rescue people go home and the three friends go home and the preacher stays there and thinks, that's my boat out there sinking. Now, it's not all the way down yet. It's just taking on water. So it's still kind of up and kind of down. And so he calls a friend and he says, with a boat, and says, hey, friend, my boat's out there sinking. Would you, would you come help me get my boat? And so the friend says, sure. So his friend gets there. They get in the boat. 
the friend's boat, without life jackets. And they go out to his boat that's sinking. And have you ever watched videos of somebody trying to step from one boat to another or from a dock to a boat? And the two boats have a tendency to go like this because they're in the water. And so the pastor, he, he's on one boat and he steps to the other boat and the two start, boats start moving apart. And the pastor, instead of falling in the boat, falls in the water. Pastor can't swim. He doesn't have a life preserver. The guy, the friend in the boat, tries to pull the pastor, his friend of his pastor, back into the boat. But I don't know if you've noticed, other than love handles, people don't have come with handles. But here's the neat thing about rescuing somebody who has a life preserver on. The life preserver serves as a handle. And you can grab the handles. But without a life preserver on, he had no handles. And so he sunk. And so they called 911 again. And the harbor girl came out. And four hours later, they found his body. What could possibly go worth? You have no idea what could possibly go worth. What did we say? Lord, I lost my What could possibly go worth? You could dry and down. You could you could die by drowning. That's what could go worse. What could go worse, Haman? Kings, your plot's about to be dis- exposed, and you're going to stand before God without Christ. It's going to get exponentially worse without Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. You're here this morning. You're a Christian. You know Christ. Your back is against the wall. It seems like there is no hope. You're a Mordecai or an Esther condemned. And you're coming right down to the wire when this law is going to be enacted. And it's going to not just put you out of business. It's going to put you into eternity. And you say, preacher, that's me. I've got my back against the wall. I've got an issue. I've got a problem going on. It's a God-sized problem that only God can solve. And I need you to pray for me today that God would help me. Preacher, would you pray for me? I've got a God-sized problem. And only, only I and God know that. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Well, no. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for those in the room. They got a God-sized problem that only you, only you can, you can solve. They're on the ropes. Seems like there is no hope. They're coming down to the wire. They don't know which way to turn, what to do, how to proceed. I pray that you would show yourself strong. Father, I pray for Rosita this morning, who's facing a cancer battle, and needs needs surgery, but because of the way the medical community is and the scheduling, her surgery's been pushed off for months. Father, I pray that you would show yourself strong to her. Show yourself strong to those who are in the room today that need your help. That they would be encouraged and they would see, stop, and see the salvation of the Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning on the very brink of eternity, Haman is about to learn a life lesson. If you are here without Christ, you are on the brink of eternity and you are about to learn a life lesson. That once you step out into eternity and stand before God, stand before the king, condemned, there is no hope. Haman is about to stand before the king, condemned without hope. What could possibly go worse than that? Then he's going to step into the presence of the king of kings without hope for eternity. 
Preacher, I'm here this morning. I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm not saved. Will you pray for me? Lift your hand up. Hold it up. Let me pray for you. Stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Every, everyone standing, your heads bowed, your eyes closed. The piano playing invitation hymn, you obey as God speaks. We come.